Everyone has a story to tell. Welcome to Dingo Talk, where we explore the experiences that make us who we are. Here's your host, Carlo Guadagnino. What's going on, Chuckleheads? Welcome back to Dingo Talk. I am Carlo Guadagnino. Uh, this week, we're staying in the PAC with Case Western Reserve head coach, Greg Deblack. Um, but before we do that, I want to get into the socials and where you can continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. Uh, on social media, it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. The only place that's different is Instagram, where it's dingo underscore talk. Um, this week, we're going to talk to a guy who uh, he graduated from John Carroll, but this is when John Carroll was in the PAC and not in the OAC. Um, and we're going to find out why Case has been so successful under his tenure. Um, I, I have a lot of questions because Case is a highly academic school. Uh, not the other schools that we've talked about aren't, but there's cases on a different level when it comes to engineering and some other things. Um, we're also going to talk to him as we do in every episode about, uh, we got a couple questions lined up that you guys submitted. Um, I have them right here. And then we're going to get to Serenity Brown's editorial and hopefully she'll be able to compose herself enough to get through it. Uh, as we saw last episode, it was a little bit of a struggle for her. So we'll see if we can get through all that. That being said, it's time to learn about Case Western Reserve and uh, Coach Deblack. So without further ado, here he is. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. Welcome back. We are here with the head coach of Case Western Reserve, Greg Deblack. Yes, perfect. <laughs> um, coach, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, I want to take you back in time to 1984 and work our way uh, to today. So 1984, you're a kid from Ohio. How do you find yourself to John Carroll? Right. So my first year out of college, I went to Akron and I, I walked on the basketball team there and uh, just you know, it, it's a fine place and it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I think I wanted to go to John Carroll out of high school, but my, my brother was actually uh, attending case at the time, um, engineering major and playing football there. And um, case is pretty expensive. So I, I felt kind of guilty and went the public school route first and then had to sit down with my parents and said, Hey, I, I truly want to go to John Carroll. That's where my heart is. And and transferred in and, and played both football and basketball there starting in 1984. And and a lot of people won't know this, but John Carroll at the time, now a member of the Ohio Athletic Conference, but in 1984, they were a member of what Case is now, is also a founding member of the uh, President's Athletic Conference. So not only were you a football player at John Carroll, but you were also a basketball player, huh? Yeah, now, played which, both. Which sport? Which sport was your, were your? I mean, obviously, you you stayed with football to coach, but was basketball kind of the first love? It's hard to call it a first love. I, the way I would explain it, uh, back when I was growing up, is I think basketball is, I, I think, more fun to play. 
you know, I, it, uh, not too many pickup football games break out, uh, you know, just kind of on their own. Football is really <laughs> tough to practice as compared to basketball. But game day football was always the, the better experience because uh, there's fewer games just and just the whole atmosphere, I think, was bigger uh, than a basketball game. But I love both. I love playing both. Um, it was difficult playing in college. Uh, it took a toll physically um high school for whatever reason maybe just because you're younger and you rebound faster it was easier to do but in college mm -hmm. just the level of competition was tougher and it was it, boy my body when March came around and basketball was over my my body was was hurting so but I, I certainly wouldn't have changed it loved playing both and um you know the coaching part uh, you know I got a graduate assistantship in football and if there was one in basketball, I, I probably would have taken that one, but there wasn't one open. So that that really kind of by accident was what led me to to coaching football, uh, that graduate assistantship where I could uh, get my master's. And uh, the plan was to go on and teach in high school. Um, but then a full time position opened up at John Carroll and I had such a great experience as a graduate assistant. I, I took the full time position and have spent my entire career in Division three college football. Now, before we get into to you becoming a coach, the, the I want to stay on the basketball topic. You you have a PAC title as a player as well, so that John those John Carroll teams were pretty good back in the day. Yeah, I I still keep in touch with the the coach from back then, Tim Babb. Um, he did a great job, and in the PAC, we were kind of a force in basketball, um, not in football. But, uh, you know, we won, had one championship. They won it the next year after I graduated. And uh, they were very strong. When, when John Carroll made the switch to the OAC, that was a big switch in basketball. It was a big step up um, mm -hmm. in basketball and, and didn't have as much success until uh, Coach Moran took over, Mike Moran. And he stayed there like 30 years and had great success there. Well, so now jumping ahead, that first year that you become the graduate assistant, you're coaching guys that you played with the year prior. Is there any? Right. Do you what was what would what advice do you give your players when they're when they can roll into that role as well um, of managing being? You know, you're no longer the buddy on the field. You're you're now an, an authoritarian authoritative figure, so to speak. Right. And the talk I give them is, you know, you don't have to end friendships. You know, mm -hmm. those guys are always going to be your friends, but you you have to keep your distance when it comes to what's going on in the coaching room. You know, you, you can't really tell them anything about what's going on, um, you know, but you can certainly still be friends with them. And, you know, you just have to keep a little bit of distance and a little professionalism um, in what goes on behind the the coach's office door stays there yeah now was that a lesson that you were that was given to you as well when you stepped into that role yeah it certainly was and I I was married then so it wasn't it wasn't as difficult for me because I wasn't you know hanging out you know on, on Friday and Saturday nights with those guys anymore um but yeah that was that was certainly I was sat down and and told like hey it's you have to keep that distance from them it's a different type of relationship now and um uh, as a GA, again, that was a great experience. I did get to coach kids that uh, I played with, um, and I had a certain amount of respect uh, from them. Um, but I also got to 
coached some new kids. Probably my, my best experience as a GA, second year GA, I, I coached a guy at quarterback named Larry Wonky. And he was actually a, a pit player. He, mm -hmm. he was a big time quarterback from the Cleveland area that was scholarship to pit. He was ranked fifth in the nation uh, coming out of high school. And Pitt didn't work out, and he, and he transferred back home and went to John Carroll. It was it was crazy because he he had just played in a bowl game. He played Eric Metcalf uh, in Texas, and back then it was called the Blue Bonnet Bowl in December. And he got in the second half and threw for 250 yards. And in January he was enrolled at John Carroll, and it was he was every bit the NFL kind of quality quarterback. He was six two. He was two twenty. He ran a four seven. He had a laser arm and he ended up getting drafted after his mm -hmm. two years at Carroll. So that was interesting. I was a 23 year old GA coaching this 21 year old guy that was destined to be an NFL player and not by my coaching. I mind you, it was <laughs> his pure physical ability because, you know, I, you, you wish you knew back then what you knew, you know, from 34 years of coaching, I could have helped Larry out a little more, but that was uh, quite an experience uh, coaching a, a guy like Larry. Well, and, and 12 years you spent at home, basically, at John Carroll. Yeah. Um, what, was, what was the most exciting part of that, of that 12 years, other than the fact that, um, and this is a running theme that I've had the last couple of weeks, um, coaches getting to coach long-term or returning to their alma mater? Well, yeah, I, I think – you know, I picked John Carroll for a reason. I, I, I really felt it was the best place for me. And um, it made it difficult to leave because the quality of people that it attracted. Um, and I guess the best memories I had were the, the people, you know, the people I got to coach. And um, boy, I, I have coached a lot of guys that are well recognized. I've, I've coached, actually, I think it's up to three NFL GMs. Um, and one NFL head coach. Um, and some of those guys, Tom Telesco, who's the GM at uh, the Chargers, I, I was his position coach. Uh, Josh McDaniels, the head coach of uh, Las Vegas. Um, I recruited Josh, you know, mm -hmm. got to know his family and, and ended up being his position coach also. David Ziegler, the GM of the, of the Raiders, uh, was also a receiver that I was coaching the receivers back then. Um, just crazy to think those kids went on and, and became the success that they are today. So that, that is a great memory. And just our, our program was really good. Tony DiCarlo was the head coach. We won a lot of games, played in the OAC. We won the OAC in 89, the first year we entered it. And, mm -hmm. and that was, but however, it was right before Mount Union just took off. And then it was difficult. We beat Mount Union in 89 and then Carol didn't beat them again until 2016. So, yeah, it was quite a run at which they're still kind of on, no doubt about it. Um, yeah. They're not winning the national championship as frequently, but they're still like dominating the OAC and being a top two to four team in, in the country. Um, so just and getting to coach against and, and learn from just from watching film, watching Larry Karras coach teams. Uh, watching Coach Packard from Baldwin Wallace, legendary coach. And mm -hmm. I learned a lot uh, in the OAC. It was a great conference full of great coaches. And as a young coach, I just tried to learn as much as I could from the people around me uh, on the John Carroll staff. But putting on the film and watching Mount Union or BW play back then or Ohio Northern, um, 
uh, it, it, I learned a lot from that and influenced my, my career when I moved forward. Now, when we get to 2000, why the decision to walk away from John Carroll? Yeah, it was, it was difficult. Um, the job came open in uh, 1999 and, and I applied for it and mm -hmm. they chose Regis Scaife, who had been the defensive coordinator before and actually was the head coach at Case when, when he got named uh, the John Carroll job. And I really respect Regis and he gave me the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator, but the goal was to become a head coach. And I knew that I would have to leave to, to do that. Um, and I didn't want to move my family all over the country to do it. So when the opportunity came to, to move the case as a coordinator with Joe Perella, who was the mm -hmm. offensive coordinator for a number of years at John Carroll, um, it just made a lot of sense. And, you know, the program was not great. It, it, in that perspective, it, you know, how could you leave John Carroll being an offensive coordinator at Carroll and move laterally to case and case had one winning season in the previous 10. So that respect, it didn't make a lot of sense, but I didn't have to move. My kids stayed mm -hmm. in the same school system. And I knew within a short time, I was more than likely going to have that opportunity to be a head coach. Now in 2007, that opportunity comes and you guys really from 2007 to 2010 really had a pretty special stretch of going 30 and 0 um, in the UAA. Um, what was what was it about those teams and when you took over what changed as a the culture i guess we would say well it i actually took over in 2004 as head coach but yes 2007 was the first undefeated season so what what i learned as an assistant uh was when we came over to case in 2001 was our first year um we recruited every good athlete we could and we begged and pleaded admissions to let them in mm -hmm. and sometimes didn't get the right fit and they didn't stay. They weren't happy there. They didn't fit in the environment socially um, or maybe they couldn't handle it academically. And we didn't have a whole lot of continuity. A, a lot yeah. of kids left. So we kind of learned that, Hey, we're going to have to get the right people in here and not that they were bad people or anything like that. They just weren't the right fit for case. So we were mm -hmm. looking for fit and, you know, an excellent player. So it took some time to build those numbers because, you know, our academic requirements are, are challenging and have gotten much more challenging as we've gone along. Um, but I could point to one recruiting class that got us going. It was uh, Dan Whalen, who was a four-year starter at quarterback. He was an all American his senior mm -hmm. year that class was loaded with talent. And that was the class that, that won 30 straight, went 10 and 0 three straight times and, and got us going. And, and the guys after that, I think there was so much confidence and we had built the culture that guys just believed we were going to win. And they didn't realize we weren't as talented as we might've been when those guys graduated. But yeah, there was a five year stretch from 2007 to uh, 2011 where we went 47 and three in the regular season. And that's just, that certainly wasn't anything that could have been predicted or something that I foresaw. We were just trying to be competitive and, and well, you know, have seasons and, and maybe compete for a UAA championship. That was the goal. And then, you know, that record from like you, you mentioned the five year stretch, the record from 2007 to 2019 is 106 and 30. That's a 779 win percentage. 
Uh, that was that's pretty consistent year in year out. At least eight wins. Um, you then come over to the PAC um, and quickly. I think there was one or two years of a, of adjustments. I, I don't know if that's the right way to adjusting to play or adjusting the schedule. But then seventeen and nineteen, you're the coach of the year, and, and Case has been right back into that. We're going to win, and we're going to do it our way. Yeah, and I, and I think um, you know we're we're coming off uh, two thousand fourteen. We, we had a losing season actually our first year in the PAC and I, I think we did have talent and I just didn't think that I kind of maintained that culture and didn't hold people accountable, both players and coaches. We made some minor adjustments in the off season and we were right back on track. It was an adjustment though. The, the level of play uh, going from playing primarily UAA and NCAC teams, and that's no knock on those teams at all, but, the competition level was better. The physicality was, boy, it was a much more physical league. You mm -hmm. had to have depth um, because you were going to, guys were going to go down because it was physical. Um, and we had another great recruiting class. Our, our 2015 recruiting class was exceptional um, and kind of led us to some, some great things. The 2017 team, uh, you know, going 10 and 0, winning a first round game uh, against, uh, Illinois Wesleyan, which plays in the CCIW, which is a dominant league. Um, yeah. And then unfortunately being matched up with Mount, the eventual national champs in the second round. That was, that was our, I believe our best team ever. <laughs> and then again, uh, in 2019, maybe not being as talented, but just guys believing and the culture being so strong and, you know, it going 10 and, or excuse me, nine and one and back in the playoffs. So yeah, that was again, a, a very nice run. Now, jumping into so we're we're in the present day now with where where we are in the conversation. Um, what is it about the PAC? Because I've I've talked to PAC coaches, I've talked to OAC coaches. The OAC coaches believe that they're the SEC of Division Three. The PAC, there's a lot of talent and and top to bottom of the conference. So, what is it about the PAC that makes it a special place? Well. I think it's Western PA and we're the outliers in Ohio, but those are very strong foot high school football regions. I think that's where, that's where it starts. You know, some of the best high school football players in the country are playing within a radius that you can recruit to your schools. So I, I think number one, that that play, that's the most important. Um, it is loaded with, with great coaches really mm -hmm. respect the coaches that, that are in the league and I've gotten to know, um, you know, be, going against Rich Lackner for, gosh, almost 20 years. Uh, Rich, Rich was a legend um, and is a legend, you know, and, and he just retired. Mike Seriani, yeah. I think, has the third, you know, best winning percentage in the history of D3, I, I believe. Um, and, you know, the job that Andrew's doing at Grove City, Scott's doing at Westminster. Um, boy, it, it is that top five in our league, they are playoff quality teams. It's just a matter of whoever wins is going to do well in the playoffs that mm -hmm. we're not going to get blown out by 40. And, you know, even uh, they, there's some up and comers. Waynesburg beat a playoff team this year. Um, you know, St. Vincent has has beaten some really good teams and gone toe to toe with some playoff teams. So I, I think the depth is there. And as someone who's coached in both leagues, um, well, I think it's I think it's really close. You take Mount Union out of the equation, and I think it's it's the leagues are really really close, no doubt. 
Now, you talked about uh, earlier when you first got the case about what you were look kind of what you were looking for at that point in a player. If you're talking to a, a parent, an athlete, a coach, what are you looking for in your student athletes? Uh, first of all, I'm looking for the student first. There, there's no doubt about that. Our answer, entrance requirements have gone up every year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got to be student first. So you have to have that kid that, hey, football is not going to be the number one thing once you're here, but it better be like number two or one A, one B. Yeah. You know, it can't be one of the 15 things that you want to do in college because it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. Um and if I hear about kids, well, I'm kind of on the fence about playing college football, then I, I, I tell them that case probably isn't the place to come because it's just too much work to do all your academics, especially if I'm recruiting an engineering major. Boy, it is a commitment. You know, the yeah. time you have to put in as an engineering major and the time you have to put in to be a good quality football program, the Division three level, it, it is a it is a great commitment. So those are the type of guys and, and people that want to compete. At, at the highest level. We want to be competitive nationally. That's our goal. Um, so we want guys that want that competition. And then the follow-up to that is why Case? What is it about Case that that student athlete is getting that, what, what, what's the draw? Well, I think number one, it's, it's, it's a name school nationally and really worldwide academically. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the draw. And I, I can speak from personal experience. Both my daughters graduated from Case. My oldest daughter's a PhD, um, you know, and I never wow. would have imagined that if, before she came to Case. And my other daughter is making a lot more money than me as a <laughs> as a computer engineer. So I just think it attracts some of the some of the best students from all over the world. So that's kind of what we stress that mm -hmm. hey, you come here and, and people from all over the world are going to recognize the name and understand the quality of education that you receive. And it's not a matter of getting a job. It's like, where do you want to be and what you want to do? Um, so that that's what we really sell. But we also sell our culture. Um, I, I think you you surround yourself with good people and mm -hmm. that helps you develop as a person. And that's who we recruit. We recruit great people. And when we do our recruiting overnights and, and the recruiting process, certainly the coaches are, are selling, but our best salesmen are our players. I think once the parents and and uh, recruits meet our people, they, they walk away thoroughly impressed and want to be part of that type of environment. And then lastly, on that front, why Division three for that athlete that's sitting there thinking, oh, if it's it's D1 or D2 or bust, what is it about D3 that maybe there's the, the big misconception that the talent level is it just drops off, which just isn't true? Yeah, I, I I get upset when I hear that, when I hear see people online say it's, oh, it's Division three, it's a bunch of scrubs and they can't play. And I again, I coached a guy that was drafting the NFL. I coached on the coaching staff, London Fletcher from John Carroll went on and played 16 years at linebacker. Yeah. Just incredible athletes. They're, a majority of them are excellent football players that just aren't tall enough or fast enough mm -hmm. to play at that Division one level. Um, the positives of division three are you, you have much more control of your life as a division three athlete than a scholarship athlete. Once you take that money, those coaches are going to tell you exactly what you're going to do with your four years mm -hmm. and division three, you don't have that pressure. You know, you, you have that commitment, 
but you can also do other things. And I've again, I've seen my kids do it through the all the 20 plus years I've been at Case, you know, all the co-ops and internships that they've gotten to do, their overseas experience that they've gotten to do. Um, there's just so many things that they get to do that the Division One athletes don't outside of football. And I think that's the attraction again, but it has to be somebody that wants that, that it's not all about football. It's about the total overall experience. Now, this one's more or less, I'm, I'm just personally interested. Is there a coach in the PAC or throughout your career that you enjoy coaching against? It's kind of like it's circled on the calendar. Oh, I'm going against, like you said, Westminster, WNJ, Carnegie Mellon. Is there, is there a team for you that like you get a little more, Amped up well, for our coach. Our certainly our biggest rivals are, are Carnegie Mellon. I mean, that's the natural rivalry, and it's been that way for years, even before we've joined the uh, the PAC. But uh, going against W and J, you know, against Mike, I really respect Mike Sirianni uh, mm-hmm. as a head coach and his offensive mind. Um, that's you know, w- we understand that we're we're going against something special. Yeah. Um, we better we better be ready and. I think we've played six times. I think we're three and three, and that's not a surprise. I think it's a really, really healthy rivalry with mutual respect. And again, I, I think they understand when they play Case that yeah, it's we we better be ready because Case is a really good program. So, but you know, I again, Grove City's been great. Andrew's done such a remarkable job. Scott Benzik as a defensive coach, and I'm an offensive coach. That's boy, <laughs> Scott does some really good things that man, we better be ready guys uh, when mm-hmm. we're playing a, a team coached by Scott. So yeah, that's the, the PAC is a, as a coaching league is, is no joke. They've got some really good quality coaches and you got to be, that's a cliche ish, but you have to be ready to play every week. Now we're going, we get to the point where these are just the random, they have nothing to do with football. They're all about getting to know you coach. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I, uh, Italy. I've been there. Uh, that's one of the things that makes uh, case football special is we, we do go on foreign trips and we've, we've gone on three and, um, I, they've all been to Italy. (laughs) They've been to Northern Italy once, uh, you know, combined with Switzerland and, Mm -hmm. uh, Southern Italy when combined with Greece. Um, so, and, and I went to, to Italy once on a John Carroll foreign trip. So I've been to Italy four times love Italy. It's, it's, uh, that, that would be like a, a kind of a nice, nice place to retire to if that was an actual possibility. But now my kids are starting to have kids going to be a grandfather soon. So I'm not sure we're going to Italy. <laughs> stay in sta- stay in stateside on that, on that front. Yeah. Um, what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Um, I think as a coach, I think to kind of be even keel, uh, mm-hmm. I started as a young coach and I was really emotional and I, and I think it was because, uh, again, that the people you surround yourself with influence you. And I surrounded myself with, with Tony DiCarlo, Dave DiCarlo, uh, Chick Dolciato. Are you getting a common theme there? These are like, <laughs> there are a lot of vowels, a lot of vowels yeah, at the end of those names. They were passionate Italians and, <laughs> and they coached with emotion and, Boy, I, I, I coached that way in the beginning and, and I just, I, it was difficult for me. Um, I got all caught up with the emotion and the coaching went away. So um, I try and keep even keel. And, I, and even when evaluating kids, 
you know, I, I never want to give up on guys. You know, sometimes, you know, you you want them to succeed. And they're not coming along like you would. And I see coaches like give up on kids and you, know, you never know how they're going to blossom. They might be guys that blossom their senior year, you know, their junior year. Um, you just can't, you know, that's what I mean. You just got to keep it an even keel and keep everybody around you on an even keel, but it is an emotional game and mm -hmm. you have to let the emotions be part of it, but you have to have control of them. You know, that's probably the, the biggest lesson I've learned to control your emotions, um, especially in big games. Cause if, boy, once you let get loose of those emotions, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get back into the, the coaching. If you weren't coaching, what would you be doing and why? Boy, I, I would hopefully somehow be involved with sports somehow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if not coaching, you know, something in a front office, you know, something community outreach, something, but just being around sports because it's just, I, it's, I've never had anything else interest me as much as being part of a team and being part of a sports team. This last one is, uh, it's, it's kind of complicated the way I word it. If you could pick three people, they can be historical figures, coaches, um, anybody you'd like. Three people, you can have lunch with them. Who would they be and why? Whew. That's that's a tough one. Um, I am a big history buff. Um, you know, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy studying history because sometimes mm -hmm. you – you learn from people's past mistakes. Um, but boy, that, that, that question's never been put in front of me, but let just from all the documentaries I've watched and <laughs> through the years, I guess the, the obvious one is, is Jesus. Um, just to, that, that's pretty obvious. Doesn't really yeah. need to be explained. <laughs> um, probably go back to um, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. How about that? You know, okay. somebody that took over as president and probably as tough a time period as possible right after the Great Depression and uh, also led through World War II and how he led through those two, you know, two of the most turbulent times in the history of our country. And another figure in history that I, I really liked studying and, and watching is Winston Churchill, um, who, again, got put in a incredibly difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was named prime minister the day that Germany invaded Poland and, or no, excuse me, France, they had already invaded Poland. They, yeah. So again, people that have been put in really difficult situations, I, I just would love to pick their brain and how they handle those and not just like, you know, what call do I make on fourth down? You know, that's kind of <laughs> like trivial as opposed to like, you know, how do we get out of, uh, the Great Depression of 25% uh, unemployment and, you know, Winston Churchill. If you're sitting, at, if you're sitting at that table, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if asking those guys what to do on fourth down is great, Yeah, but everything else they could probably answer for you. Yeah. Um, Coach, last question. Was there a question you were expecting me to ask? And if so, how would you have answered it? Hmm. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, Probably um, what I would like to answer would be, be uh, you know, my experience at Case and, um, you know, my how I've, I've loved the people that I've been around. Um, mm -hmm. That That's what has made coaching. We talked a lot about, you know, wins and championships and playoff appearances, but 
you know, looking back, it's, it's the people that you got to experience those with, um, you know, that's, that's what's made coaching at case, uh, so rewarding, uh, because they are, they're, they're remarkable people. And when I, when, and they're different, they're certainly different. Um, when I bring in coaches that may not have been, been part of a high academic setting. And I, I, I excuse kids from practice all the time to go get extra help. And it's always fun to gauge the reaction of, of the new coaches when like 15 freshmen got, have to go to a, a supplemental instruction because they have a chem- chemistry test the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, dude, that's, that's just the way this is done here. And they are awesome people that um, I'm just so proud, proud to be a part of them and part of their lives. And uh, will enjoy, you know, following their careers after they graduate and never play football again, they, they go on and do great things in the world. So that would be the question about what's, what's the best part of coaching at case. And the answer is the the people you get to coach. I like that. And I think that's a great way to end things. Um, coach, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, best of luck this year. Um, I think that's, Oh, there was one more thing. I know we, we just, you, your overall record, because I, I have it written down here, I want to make sure I get it on on the uh, edit, is 125 and 51 to this point in your career, which is a 7-10 win percentage. Uh, I think that might have been I think that might have been before this year, I think, but I'm not sure. But that sounds about right. <laughs> well, I wish you continued success. Um, <laughs> and for those of you that are still with us. We uh, don't forget the next segment. We have the editorial with Serenity Brown, um, and we'll get to that as soon as we get back. Welcome back, Chuckleheads. I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Serenity Brown. We are here for the editorial with Serenity Brown uh, to wrap up this episode of Dingo Talk with Coach Debiliak. Uh, Deblack. No, Deblack. <laughs> see that? That's what we have. Though sometimes it's his Ooh. name. If you when you see how it's spelled, you understand that. It was a process getting his name down. I apologize, Coach Deblack. Um, but go ahead and take it away there, lady. All right. I just want to say, first of all, I never know what to say during these things unless it's like, a, oh, we had an audio issue or, oh, like something happened here. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I go into this Blind. blank. I have no idea. Well, so let me throw some things at you. So, Cody Coleman, thank you for the uh, border idea first episode that we're doing that um why did you choose the microphone and whatnot the subscribe button and the way that you did why just you liked it (laughs) cool it was like out of like all like the templates and stuff that i was looking through it was just like the only one that really jumped out and made sense for the show and then sound wise we were good this week yeah, there was only one little blip, and I honestly think it's just because you, like, lean back and away from a microphone, so it, the rest of the episode was fine. It's a very, very smart school. Very smart school. Like, um, and it's an interesting balance of the smart kid that we understand that you're here for your academics, but we're also here to play football at a very high level. Um that being said, and I, I appreciate the beginning of that, um, for those of you at home that don't know, normally we shoot these five hours before 
we're uploading. I mean, yeah. this segment is shot the day before we release. It's uh, I have not re, I don't get the opportunity to re-see the episode. She obviously sees it um, after, as she's editing it. Um, and I guess I'm really good at my job because she has no complaints ever. Uh, All right, don't, don't, don't. I'm just saying, I mean, I, I don't make mistakes, I don't think. Do I make mistakes? I edit them out. Oh, so you're good at editing. <laughs> Relatively. Okay. You, Is there anything? I was, you want you want me to, to put in some of the stuff? I can. We can put in a clip right now. Well, is there a clip that you have teed yeah. up? All right, well, let's take a look at the clip and we'll come back. And All right. On the social medias, it's Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. The only one different is Instagram. It's Dingo Undertalk Score. Uh, Dingo. Wow. Yep. I'm starting over. I'm sorry, that was funny. All right, five. I don't even know my own show anymore. This is this is where my brain is. Dingo under talk score coming to you soon. Apparently, three, two. Um. Okay. So in my defense. Uh, there is no defense. I just completely uh, transformed and made a new word because, you know, in communications and the media field, it's always good to grow your vocabulary. And I took that one step further and decided to create my own because if I know it's right, then everybody else should just get on board. Isn't that the way things go now? Uh, well. Oh. <laughs> well, uh... Let's see, top threes today. What are we going to do top three for you? <clears throat> top three pops. And it's pop, not soda. So we'll it's get that out of the way. No, it's not, but okay. All right, well, uh, Dr. Pepper is my number one. Okay. Uh, Pepsi. Those are really the only two I drink, but like. I have a list. I would say maybe ginger ale. Turner's tea. That's not that a soda. When you crack the lid, it makes a pop. Uh, Iron Cities. That's... Also, crack the can. And ginger ale. For, uh, yeah. But, that being said, is there anything else here in your notes that you'd really like to, to cover? Did we... Nothing really important. Um, so next week, since we are uh, we're staying in the PAC, we're going to make our way from Ohio... We're gonna come back into the Pennsylvania area. Uh, we'll be sitting down with, uh, will we be sitting down with Coach Gino DeMarco from Geneva, um, and hearing all about Beaver Falls and and Geneva uh, College. Um, but that being said, oh, if you if you don't know, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you get your podcast. And if you're looking to keep up with us on the social medias, uh, it's. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. The only one different is Instagram. It's dingo underscore talk. And now that joke at the beginning makes sense why I had to emphasize the underscore after the clip you've seen. Listen, people make mistakes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm not perfect, clearly. Um, but you have anything else? Nothing else? We'll see you next week, Chuckleheads. Thanks for checking out this episode of Dingo Talk. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. For more info and to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Dingo Talk.